Hey, good morning, everyone. What a great morning it's been so far. And here we are in God's Word. We're going to be moving through the book of Galatians, as you may know. And our series is called Love is Called My Name. We're looking at the ways in which God's call of grace and love to us in the gospel of Jesus changes us, changes how we see the world and how we live in it. And this morning we come through the first part of chapter 2. And our scripture reading is going to be on the screen. It's verses 1 through 13 and then 20 and 21, sort of the, the bookend of the chapter. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellow when they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. It's God's word this morning. Complicated passage, but we're going to dive into the deep end of it. Uh, I'll begin this way. Although I didn't become a Christian until I was 19, maybe like some of you, uh, I grew up in a, in a church, and one half of my family was deeply uh, religious, deeply churched. And if you're familiar with such environments, especially in the South, uh, you may know that it's common to embroider uh, or stitch certain scriptures on blankets and things, and you know, you hang them on the wall, and uh, they embroider certain prayers or Bible phrases that are inspirational. How many of you guys, parents or grandparents, maybe have one of those things? Yeah, a few of you. Uh, and they're generally about what? They're generally about eagles soaring or overcoming adversity, right? Or footprints on a beach, right? Or God knowing his plans for you, maybe even the famous serenity prayer. But Interestingly enough, one Bible verse that I've never seen embroidered or hung on the wall in any church or even my grandmother's home was Galatians 2-3, yet not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. 
you're pretty much not going to find that one on a birthday cake, are you? You're not going to find it hanging in a fellowship hall. And to be fair, we're probably not going to put that one on the billboard outside. But for a moment, I'd like you to consider that in a very real way, there is no more inspirational scripture in all the Bible than this one, nor one that's really had more of an influence on your life today than this one, though you may not have known it or perhaps seen it like that before. You say, man, how is that? How could that be? Well, let me try to show you how this passage and this scripture in Galatians has changed the world and can change your life. We're going to be moving through four concepts, sort of divide the passage into fourths today. First, we're going to look at the truth that's here, then the trap Paul talked about, then someone's failure. And finally, our freedom. Let's begin here, number one, and look at the truth here and just ask, well, what's going on? Well, let's just pick up where we left off last week. Last week, we saw that Paul here in the book, he's been confronting false teachers, false believers. He calls them false brethren. And and we looked at why we tend to cringe when someone says the word false doctrine or the words false teachers or false truth. And we said it was because we have been conditioned culturally now to reject all truth claims. And though we can't prove it today, we are committed to believing that all opinions are equally valid about any topic. But Paul, right here in the book of Galatians, right away he's saying no. There's actually good theology and there's bad theology. There is good thinking about God and bad thinking about God. And of course, we struggle with this thought as well. We think, you know what, but, but God and church and stuff, it ought to just be about how I feel about things. And about, it ought to be about experience only or you know, about how Christianity makes me feel or how I want to feel. But let me just show you for a second how connected theology and feelings are and why the best feelings and the deepest and richest spiritual experience you can ever have are going to come, will come from the best theology and the best thinking. Let me sort of introduce it like this. A few months ago, uh, my wife and I were in Paris, France. And because I'm a cheapskate, I didn't want to pay to have the international GPS turned on on my phone. And so we did Paris the old-fashioned way, right? We bought up one of those big, you know, opening up, folding map kind of things of the city. And of course, this map uh, was like any other map you've seen when you, when you open it up. It's got colors and lines and icons and numbers and little words and French all over it. And, and we bought the map because we wanted to have experiences of certain places. And the map helped us get to the right place to have the right experience. Now, the map isn't the experience, is it? You say, no, that's right. It's not, but the map does show me how to get there. Now, let's just say that Carrie and I wanted to have lunch at the Eiffel Tower, right? Romantic place and all that. Now, to do that, to have lunch at the Eiffel Tower, I couldn't just wad the map up put it on the ground, light it on fire, then get out some good old-fashioned American hot dogs, roast them over the fire, and say that I had had a cookout at the Eiffel Tower. Couldn't do that. Some of you guys are still processing that, right? Now, I couldn't say I had a cookout right there. Why? Why not? Because the map isn't the tower. The truth of the map isn't the experience of a tower, but without the map, right, without something to help me see where the truth is, is located, the odds of me finding the experience I really want and I'm searching for all along, those odds are slim. (laughs) And the odds of me getting very lost, the odds of me making my wife very angry uh, are very good in the middle of that. Now, 
truth in theology, uh, it works like a map. Without truth, right? without the right theology, the experience that you're looking for of God and the experience you need from God, those things will go away, which is exactly what Paul shows us and is saying here in verse 5 when he says, we did not give into them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, we'll talk about who the they were, who the them are in just a moment. But to set that up, just look at what Paul is saying. He's saying, I said no to bad doctrine, bad theology, bad thinking, so that the truth might be preserved for you to experience. Okay, So what's the truth now Paul is trying to preserve here in Galatians? It's this one truth today. That God accepts you by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. That's the truth. That's it. You and I, we can become pleasing, acceptable, loved, affirmed, fawned over, cherished by God through faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. And Paul is saying, if that truth goes away, if that truth goes AWOL, then the experience of love and liberation and freedom and jump out of your chair in heaven shaking praise and making a run for the Lord in the sanctuary, just because it feels good to do that in church, those things are going to go away. They're going to go away. He's saying, do you want spiritual electricity in your life? You want to feel inspired? Do you want to feel encouraged? Do you want to feel like the lyrics of John Lloyd's favorite Katy Perry song? Uh, the Eye of the Tiger, right? Feel like a champion? Do you want to roar in a sense, right? He's saying we need the truth of the gospel. And all of this this morning comes together in the life of a man named Titus. Titus was a Greek man who had become a Christian who was now traveling with and being trained by Paul to lead and minister. And here we see in Galatians 2 that Paul now, he is telling a story. He's telling a story of something that happened, of a trip that he and Barnabas and Titus had taken to go to Jerusalem to meet with the heads of state of the Christian faith at the time, as it were, the big three, right? Peter, James, and John. To make sure the message of Christianity that Paul was preaching was in line with what they were preaching and to make sure that the message of Christianity they were preaching were in line with what he was preaching. Paul told us in chapter 1 that the central message of Christianity, that people are accepted and made right with God by faith in the person of Jesus Christ, plus nothing, he got. Not from others, not from Peter, but Paul makes the claim that that message he received from Jesus Christ himself. And so here Paul is going to Jerusalem, and what he tells us is this, that as he's on the way, he was scared. He was frightened. He was afraid. You say, what would Paul have to be afraid of? He was afraid of this. He said that I was running my race in vain. And what that means is this. He was afraid that the leaders of the church in Jerusalem had caved into pressure from what he called false brothers, people known as the Judaizers. Paul was afraid that this group, it was a pressure group, also called the circumcision group, this group of high-powered church lobbyists, had gotten to and overwhelmed Peter, James, and John with their message, which was this. Yes, Jesus Christ is good, but you are really only acceptable and pleasing to God if you observe and obey the ceremonial laws of Judaism, which included these things. Male circumcision, sacrificial and cleanliness system, which we'll go into, 
and the dietary laws, no pork, etc. Okay, so here's what Paul is doing. Paul is going to Jerusalem and he's bringing his buddy Titus as a test case. He's a guinea pig to force the issue. Here is Titus, now a Christian, not circumcised, not observing the sacrificial and cleanliness system. He's eating pork. Let's ask, is he a Christian? Is he a Christian as much as Paul or Peter, James, or any other Jew is? And the question is, will the Jerusalem leaders disagree with Paul and say, no, Titus must become culturally Jewish in order to be a Christian, thereby diminishing what Jesus had done? Or will they say, Christ plus nothing is enough? And what does Paul say happened? Galatians 2, 3. Not even Titus was compelled, forced to be circumcised. This is a celebration. This is a win for the gospel here. Why not? Paul says, those who were held in high esteem, the big shots, Peter, James, and John, because they added nothing to my message. In other words, he's saying here to the Galatians, Peter's not preaching one thing over here, and I'm preaching one thing over here. We are all on the same page about the truth. You do not have to become culturally Jewish or culturally anything else in order to be pleasing to God. That's point number one. That's the truth. And that's the point of Galatians 2. The truth of the gospel is that faith in Christ plus nothing saves you. So let's ask the question now. So why does Paul go to all the trouble with this story of something that happened in a different city now that he's writing to these people in Galatia? Well, he's sharing this truth, number one, to number two, expose a trap. There's a trap here. What was the trap? Well, here, the false brothers are back. Man, like a bad dream, you know, something bad you ate last night. It just won't go away. Their message had spread from Jerusalem here to Galatia. They had infiltrated the churches there. And Paul is saying this, ah, I've seen this one before. I know that how this is going down. So here's my response to all you Galatians, to all the Judaizers there. It's Christ plus nothing, not Christ plus circumcision or Christ plus the law. And today, man, people still have trouble with this passage. They just do, and here's why. Because they see Paul saying here, no, keeping the law isn't what makes you a Christian. They say, man, is Paul saying that the Ten Commandments don't matter, that living a, a holy life now doesn't matter? Well, no, he's not saying that at all. Just read later on into the book. We'll get to that soon. Chapter 5. Read any of his other letters. Paul always insists that you and I, we should be keeping, obeying the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. And because we can see him doing that, we know this pressure group here could see that as well. So then you've got to ask, well, what were they pushing? What were they pressuring? Oh, they were pushing the ceremonial laws. Hang with me for about three minutes here. It's going to make sense. They were pushing the ceremonial laws, which is they were concerned with what you would wear, what you ate, how they washed. People washed if you were circumcised or not. These things were also called the clean laws. There were hundreds of them, and if you broke one under Jewish law, you couldn't go into the temple to worship God. You say, well, what was the point? Well, the point of all these was this, both to separate the Jews culturally, right? Because if you wore different clothes, if you ate different things, if you looked different anatomically, 
you would show you were different than someone else, right? And the clean laws were there to show us that there was no way to come to God or to be pleasing on your own. No matter what the Jewish people did, they still had to have a blood offering to go in. And even then, the priest that offered on their behalf still had to make a special offering for himself and for the holy things that had been set apart to clean the people. It was staggering. It was unkeepable. And that was the point. The point was to get you to see you need a Savior. That was the point. So you hear all this. You think, okay, I get it now. I'm supposed to honor the Ten Commandments, but I'm not supposed to honor the ceremonial laws. No, no, no. I'm not saying that either. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? Here's what you're supposed to do. You and I are supposed to honor every law God ever gave. Honor the purpose of the law God ever gave. You say, well, what was, what's, how does that work? Well, let's ask, what was the purpose of the Ten Commandments? The purpose of the Ten Commandments is to keep your heart right before God and before others, right? Don't lie, don't steal, honor your parents, be faithful to your spouse. The only way to be faithful to your spouse is to be faithful to your spouse. That's how you honor that law. The only way to honor those laws are to keep them. But the purpose of the clean laws that said you must be circumcised and not eat pork, you must wear these clothes, was to get you to see that you need a savior, a redeemer, a deliverer, a liberator, and that you could never be that on your own. But now, 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 that the savior has come, the deliverer, the liberator, Jesus Christ has come. The only way to honor those laws is not to keep them. It's not the key to why. Because he has made us clean. He makes us right. He is what separates us, makes us different, purifies us, enables us to go into God. If I were to keep them, I would be saying that Jesus hasn't. Saying that Jesus hasn't. In a very real way, therefore, I honor God by going to Chipotle today and eating carnitas tacos. In a very real way, I honor God. By not observing the Jewish festivals. In a very real way, I honor God by wearing my $22 Banana Republic shirt. By wearing the clothes of my culture. I honor him because he has kept those laws for me. See, to say anything else is to go backwards. And if you think that anything other than faith in the person of Jesus Christ saves you, you've gone backwards. If you think you are more pleasing to God and are really honoring him, and are really touching his heart if you observe the dietary laws or observe Jewish festivals. In a sense, you've gone backwards. Listen, observe them if you want. Great. Eat what you want. Don't want. Great, man. But think about those things. Man, you can think about those things. Learn about them. Observe them. If you like, there's so much to learn there. But if you think those things make you more pleasing to God, You've missed the gospel. Nothing can make you more pleasing than his son. See, you and I honor those laws by not keeping them. And this is now. Here's the point of what all of this means. You and I honor God, honor Jesus the son. See this. By not having to become culturally anything other than what you are now. By not becoming culturally Jewish. Some people think, unfortunately, we're still, today, maybe we're more pleasing to God if we become culturally Jewish. They'll say Jesus was a Jew, therefore God loves Jews more, Jewish culture more, we should become more Jewish. And it's true, God does love the Jewish people. He deeply loves them, I deeply love them. He's forever honored them by allowing the Messiah to arise from their culture and their nation. But to say we honor God if we become more Jewish because 
Jesus was a Jew, makes as much sense as saying we should all become men, ladies, because Jesus was a man, right? You don't have to speak Hebrew or use God's name in Hebrew to really honor him. See, the point of the gospel and of the day of Pentecost was to show that no language and no culture are superior to another. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Good church folk in Acts chapter 2. Each person heard the gospel there in what? Their own language, their own tongue. In other words, God spoke his name in the name of his son in countless languages all at once. Why? Because the heart of the gospel is that God goes into culture. God comes down. He enters in. He doesn't make us go up to him. Listen, use Hebrew words if you like. It's great. It's great. Man, we do sometimes here. We study. Man, it's good. Use, use God's name in Hebrew if it touches your heart. But if someone tells you it makes you more pleasing to God than someone else who pronounces his name in another language, that's adding to the gospel. The minute you say that Hebrew culture or Greek culture or any other culture, American, black, white, Latino, is better than another, you're no different than a Judaizer. See, to elevate a language... To elevate a language is to elevate a culture. And to elevate a culture above another means you must look down on all other cultures. And the whole point of Galatians and the case study of Titus and the whole point of this story is to tell you that you are only pleasing to God through faith in his son. Seeing this helps free you from the trap of elevating your culture or feeling pressure for another to be elevated over your own. Man, do research all day long. Man, I've got the book of Galatians. I've got the book of Galatians. But this is hard stuff, though. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's just not easy to get a hold of. And our hearts, we see in history, they always want to slide backward toward elevating another culture or language above another, even though the whole message here is that we can't, we shouldn't, we won't here in this church by God's grace. And also the reason I know this isn't easy is because of the very next thing that happens In this passage, we're only going to dip our toe in it this week because I want to look at it in depth next week. But because here there was a trap, Paul said there's a trap here. Because there was a trap, number two, there's also, number three, there was a failure. In other words, someone fell in a trap. Who was it? Well, Paul tells us a second story now. As it turns out, as we go on, we find out that the Judaizers weren't just in Jerusalem. They weren't just in Galatia. They were were in another church, in another city called Antioch. And in Antioch, the people that made up that church there were really a mosaic like ours. They were primarily Gentile Christians from all over the world. And we see that now Paul is here in in Antioch with his friend Barnabas. And now it's Peter's turn to travel. Just as Paul had gone to see his buddy in Jerusalem, so now Peter goes to see his buddy in Antioch. And now we see in the second story something heartbreaking that happens next. Paul tells us, he says, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. First of all, I want to say about this that this is stunning. Here we have documented... For all eternity, the failure of the leader of the church of Jesus. There's no sugarcoating. 
There's no revisionist history. There's no effort to cover up Paul and Barnabas' racism. This shows us, as the New Testament consistently does, that the writers were more concerned with getting it right than they were with making themselves look good. And here we see both Peter and Barnabas falling into the trap of the circumcision group. They cave to the pressure. Peter and Barnabas, they separate from the Gentile Christians. And now the church is beginning to divide along cultural and racial lines. Next week, I'll look at Peter at length, look at what was going on with him. But this morning, I just want to see, help you to see what's happening with Barnabas. Look at what Paul writes about Barnabas, one of the church leaders. He says, by their hypocrisy, what? Even... Barnabas was led astray. It's amazing. He says, even Barnabas, as in, this is my friend, my traveling companion, my my brother, the last person I ever expected to fall under the trap of legalism and racism, cultural superiority. And if you know your church history, this is staggering. Barnabas was an amazing man. He was the first one to stand up for Paul. After Paul's conversion, he risked his life uh, and his reputation by saying, Paul's the real deal. I mean, he's one of us. We should trust him. Barnabas was an encourager. Uh, He was a uniter, a bringer together of others. His name literally means son of encouragement. He had a soft and tender heart at other places. He had stood up for the Greek Christians to be accepted. But here, under enormous pressure, he stops eating with and being seen with non-Jewish Christians. Why? Why? I believe it's because many times the most tender-hearted and most empathetic people can many times be the most prone to compromising the truth under pressure. And the reason I believe this is true is because of my own heart. <laughs> In many ways, I feel like a Barnabas at times. I don't want to offend I don't want to say no to anyone. I don't like telling you no. I want to say yes to everybody. I want to be a bridge builder and a reconciler and a peacemaker because I don't like telling people no. I won't tell people no. And this gets me in all kinds of trouble. Staff, my wife can tell you that. Maybe some of you can identify with that in your own life. And though while I don't always get there, maybe like you, I aspire to be a Barnabas and and see the world that way. And so because that's true, it's likely that our staff and our leaders in this church function that way. And because they function that way, it can contribute to the culture of our church, which maybe you're like this too. I've heard us described as warm and accepting, and we ought to be warm, ought to be accepting, ought to throw our arms around people who walk in here and be bridge builders and yet Look, when it came to this issue and when the church was at stake, when it came to clearly seeing what the truth was and what ought to be done, Barnabas couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He failed. He failed his brothers, Paul, the church, God, the truth, the gospel. We have it recorded for eternity. Now, Barnabas was amazing. He ended up giving his life for the gospel. He was martyred for Jesus more than any of us likely will ever do. But that being said, Let's look at our own hearts in the light of this today. Are we more afraid of pressure from our culture than we are of standing up for what's right and for what's true and what the truth of the gospel is? Do we? Because we feel things from people and feel things from our culture. We feel them deeply. There's nonstop pressure. There's pressure from our friends on certain issues. Do we compromise what's true? the truth of the gospel is. It's easy, isn't it? Do you see how badly you and I, how badly we need truth tellers in our lives? Paul carried the day. 
save the church. And God was looking out for you that day as well. It was on its way towards collapse and really towards two different kinds of Christianity emerging. And when it counted, the truth teller carried the day. So let's ask, why did, how could Paul succeed here and Barnabas fail? Well, I believe it was because Barnabas didn't have, not yet anyway, what we can have today, what you can have right now. It's number four, freedom. Freedom. What do I mean? I mean this. Barnabas knew the truth of the gospel. He knew where Paul stood. Think about it. He had gone with Paul to Jerusalem and fought for Titus to be accepted. He knew it, and yet he didn't live it. Why not? For the same reason we don't live out the gospel at moments. Because at that moment, that crucial moment, when he was under pressure, when the time came to make a stand, to do what was right, he was looking to something else besides Jesus to be his beauty, to be his security, to be his covering. What made him somebody? At that moment, what was he looking to? Approval, right? Approval from others. Having a certain group of his friends and peers like him. He gave in to peer pressure, literally. Let's not look down on him, though. We do the same. We all look to something, don't we, at times? To feel beautiful, right? To feel loved. Feel like we are seen and we are somebody. When we have, for example, when we have sex with someone we're not married to, we go to pornography. What are we doing? We're, many times, we're going to something that makes us feel like somebody. If you, if you today, if you're constantly getting offended by others, constantly getting your feelings hurt, constantly thinking of how someone in your family or in this church doesn't see you, doesn't care about you. You feel overlooked constantly. They're getting it wrong, and you can't take it, and your life revolves around what other people do or say or think. You're acting like Barnabas here. Listen, I've done this a thousand times. (laughs) I am the chief of sinners in this area. Do people like what I preach? Do they love me? And the big question every pastor asks, why do people only write emails when they don't like something? (laughs) Why don't they write one when they do? I don't know. See, is that person offended by me? What am I? I'll tell you what I'm not when it comes to this. If I'm acting like this, I'm not free. Not free. And neither are you if this is you. So the question is, how can we be free? Well, I'll give you two ways that you're not going to be number free. Number one, you're not going to be free just by getting more approval from others. You're just not. Man, go ahead, man. Pour approval in. That voice will be back in 24 hours. It will. Nor will you get free from just saying, stop it. Stop it. So what can you do to be free in any area of your life? Oh, it's beautiful. Thankfully, Paul gives us the answer at the end of the chapter. Two verses. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live, here's the key, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's he saying? I'll tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that his faith here is some passive thing. And you may think that if you just read the first half of the verse. If all you had was the first half, and you read Paul saying he no longer lives, you may think, well, now all I got to do is just be passive, sit in my chair and cross my fingers and hope for the best. No, he says, I live by faith. What does that mean? It means this. 
living by faith in the Son of God means to remember the truth of the gospel and apply it to your heart. Which is what? It means this, that because God has accepted you in Jesus, now when God sees you, he sees an absolute beauty, man, a stunner, a hero, a looker, a a world-class child of his. And when I live by faith, it means I believe that more than anything else I believe about myself. Let me ask you, do you feel rejected by your friends today? Maybe they are rejecting you. Maybe it's because of bad reasons, right? Maybe they want to feel superior to you. Maybe it's, maybe it's because of good reasons. Uh, maybe you are so wounded and rejected on the inside, you've become unmanageable. You're so difficult to be around. People can't handle it anymore. But no matter, good reasons or bad, what are you going to do about it, right? Maybe your business career hasn't done as well as you've wanted. What are you going to do about it? Maybe there's good reasons for that, understandable reasons. Maybe you've got a boss who's acted against you or someone who's assassinated your character in a boardroom. Maybe there are, you know, sort of, you know, understandable reasons. Maybe you're in the wrong career, right? But either way, what are you going to do about it? Hmm. I'll tell you what you're going to do about it. If you are a child of God today, you are going to live by faith. You're going to take hold of the truth and let the lies go. You are going to remember what? What does Paul say? He says that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loves you and has given himself for you today. And if the maker of the universe sees you as a delight, you don't have to hear it from your daddy anymore. Your daddy, maybe he should have said it. Man, he should have. But he didn't know what he was doing. Your mom she should have been there for you, but maybe she wasn't. She checked out. But what are you going to do? You're going to live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and has given himself for you. And to say that you need someone's approval more than you need God's is no different than someone telling Titus he had to be circumcised. Not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. Not even you has to have something besides Jesus to be acceptable and loved and complete. Living by faith is saying, I'm going to fight for what's already been won for me. And if that's true, if I know love has called my name, no man can touch me. See, that's freedom. Galatians 2, it'll change your life. Let's pray as we close and go to him and respond in prayer this morning. Oh, Jesus, as your son today, I thank you for these words in your, in your, in your Bible Thank you for these words that you love me, gave yourself for me. Lord, I'm praying if there's someone here who doesn't know that today, if the truth of that hasn't become experienced for them, it would now in these moments. Let light bulbs go off, explosions in their heart. Let their hearts be warmed as they turn to you, repent of their old life, and trust you alone. Not their own works, not their culture, not their thinking, their education. And Lord, for us here, those of us who have crossed that line of faith, Lord, we just repent for many times moving backwards from the gospel, looking down on other cultures, compelling others to come in line with our culture when not even Titus was. Lord, help us to contend for what needs contending, these truths. This is what changes the world. If you're here this morning, you're just struggling with what other people think about you. Oh, this ongoing, creepy, crawling man thing that wants to worm its way into your soul, lie to you, lies to you. Would you raise your hand this morning? I want to pray for you. 
God, would you, by the power of Galatians 2, 221, 220, the love you have for them, that you gave yourself for them, Lord, I'm praying that would shout louder in their heart and their ear than anything else. Lord, would you forgive me for when I don't believe this? Lord, would you rescue us over and over? And may we become truth-tellers like Paul who could stand in front of a church on its way down and say, no, no.